0: part 8 of chance by joseph conrad this librivox recording is in the public domain part 8 chapter 7 on the pavement fine was not willing to talk but as i had been already let into the secret the fair-minded little man recognised that i had some right to information if i insisted on it and i did insist after the third game we were yet some way from the end of our journey oh if you want to know was his somewhat impatient opening and then he talked rather volubly first of all his wife had not given him to read the letter received from flora i had suspected him of having it in his pocket but had told him all about the contents it was not at all what it should have been even if the girl had wished to affirm her right to disregard the feelings of all the world her own had been trampled in the dirt out of all shape extraordinary thing to say i would admit for a young girl of her age the whole tone of that letter was wrong quite wrong it was certainly not the product of a say of a well-balanced mind If she were given some sort of footing in the world, I said, if only no bigger than the palm of my hand, she would probably learn to keep a better balance. Fine ignored this little remark. His wife, he said, was not the sort of person to be addressed mockingly on a serious subject. There was an unpleasant strain of levity in that letter, extending even to the references of Captain Anthony himself such a disposition was enough his wife had pointed out to him to alarm one for the future had all the circumstances of that preposterous project been as satisfactory as in fact they were not other parts of the letter seemed to have a challenging tone as if daring them the fines to approve her conduct and at the same time implying that she did not care that it was for their own sakes that she hoped they would go against the world, the horrid world which had crushed poor Papa. Fine called upon me to admit that this was pretty cool, considering, and there was another thing too. It seems that for the last six months she had been assisting two ladies who kept a kindergarten school in Bayswater a mere pittance Flora had insisted on devoting all her spare time to the study of the trial. She had been looking up files of old newspapers and working herself up into a state of indignation with what she called the injustice and the hypocrisy of the prosecution. Her father, Fine reminded me, had made some palpable hits in his answers in court and she had fastened on them triumphantly. She had reached the conclusion of her father's innocence, and had been brooding over it. Mrs. Fine had pointed out to him the danger of this. The train ran into the station, and Fine, jumping out directly, it came to a standstill. Seemed glad to cut short the conversation. We walked in silence a little way, boarded a bus, then walked again i don't suppose that since the days of his childhood when surely he was taken to see the tower he had been once east of temple bar he looked about him sullenly and when i pointed out in the distance the rounded front of the eastern hotel at the bifurcation of two very broad mean shabby thoroughfares rising like a grey stucco tower "'Above the lowly roofs of the dirty yellow two-story houses, "'he only grunted disapprovingly. "'I wouldn't lay too much stress on what you have been telling me,' "'I observed quietly as we approached that unattractive building. "'No man will believe a girl who has just accepted his suit "'to be not well balanced, you know. "'Oh, accepted his suit.' muttered fine who seemed to have been very thoroughly convinced indeed it may have been the other way about and then he added i am going through with it i said that this was very praiseworthy but that a certain moderation of statement he waved his hand at me and mended his pace i guessed that he was anxious to get his mission over as quickly as possible he barely gave himself time to shake hands with me and made a rush at the narrow glass door with the words hotel entrance on it it swung to behind his back with no more noise than the snap of a toothless jaw the absurd temptation to remain and see what would come of it got over my better judgment i hung about irresolute wondering how long an embassy of that sort would take, and whether Fyne on coming out would consent to be communicative. I feared he would be shocked at finding me there, would consider my conduct incorrect, conceivably treat me with contempt. I walked off a few paces. Perhaps it would be possible to read something on Fyne's face as he came out, and if necessary I could always eclipse myself discreetly through the door of one of the bars the ground floor of the eastern hotel was an unabashed pub with plate-glass fronts a display of brass rails and divided into many compartments each having its own entrance but of course all this was silly the marriage the love the affairs of captain anthony were none of my business i was on the point of moving down the street for good when my attention was attracted by a girl approaching the hotel entrance from the west she was dressed very modestly in black it was the white straw hat of good form and trimmed with a bunch of pale roses which had caught my eye the whole figure seemed familiar of course flora de barral she was making for the hotel she was going in and fine was with captain anthony To meet him could not be pleasant for her. I wished to save her from the awkwardness, and as I hesitated, what to do, she looked up, and our eyes happened to meet just as she was turning off the pavement into the hotel doorway. Instinctively I extended my arm. It was enough to make her stop. I suppose she had some faint notion that she had seen me before somewhere, she walked slowly forward, prudent and attentive, watching my faint smile. Excuse me, I said directly, she had approached me near enough. Perhaps you would like to know that Mr. Fine is upstairs with Captain Anthony at this moment. She uttered a faint, ah, Mr. Fine. I could read in her eyes that she had recognized me now. A serious expression extinguished the imbecile grin of which I was conscious. I raised my hat. She responded with a slow inclination of the head, while her luminous, mistrustful maiden's glance seemed to whisper, What is this one doing here? I came up to town with Fine this morning, I said in a businesslike tone. I have to see a friend in East India Dock. Fine and I parted this moment at the door here. The girl regarded me with darkening eyes. Mrs. Fyne did not come with her husband, I went on, then hesitated before that white face so still in the pearly shadow thrown down by the hat-brim, but she sent him, I murmured by way of warning. Her eyelids fluttered slowly over the fixed stare. "'I imagine she was not much disconcerted by this development. "'I live a long way from here,' she whispered. "'I said perfunctorily, "'Do you?' "'And we remained gazing at each other. "'The uniform paleness of her complexion "'was not that of an anemic girl. "'It had a transparent vitality, "'and at that particular moment "'the faintest possible rosy tinge the merest suspicion of colour, an equivalent, I suppose, in any other girl to blushing like a peony, while she told me that Captain Anthony had arranged to show her the ship that morning. It was easy to understand that she did not want to meet Fine, and when I mentioned in a discreet murmur that he had come because of her letter, she glanced at the hotel door quickly and moved off a few steps to a position where she could watch the entrance without being seen i followed her at the junction of the two thoroughfares she stopped in the thin traffic of the broad pavement and turned to me with an air of challenge and so you know i told her that i had not seen the letter i had only heard of it she was a little impatient i mean all about me "'Yes, I knew all about her. "'The distress of Mr. and Mrs. Fine, "'especially of Mrs. Fine, "'was so great that they would have "'shared it with anybody almost, "'not belonging to their circle of friends. "'I happened to be at hand. "'That was all. "'You understand that I am not their friend. "'I am only a holiday acquaintance. "'She was not very much upset.' queried Flora de Barral, meaning, of course, Mrs. Fine, and I admitted that she was less so than her husband, and even less than myself. Mrs. Fine was a very self-possessed person, which nothing could startle out of her extreme theoretical position. She did not seem startled when Fine and I proposed going to the quarry. You put that notion into their heads, the girl said i advanced that the notion was in their heads already but it was much more vividly in my head since i had seen her up there with my own eyes tempting providence she was looking at me with extreme attention and murmured is that what you called it to them tempting no i told them that you were making up your mind and i came along just then i told them that you were saved by me my shout checked you she moved her head gently from right to left in negation no well have it your own way i thought to myself she has found another issue she wants to forget now and no wonder she wants to persuade herself that she had never known such an ugly and poignant minute in her life After all, I conceded aloud, things are not always what they seem. Her little head, with its deep blue eyes, eyes of tenderness and anger, under the black arch of fine eyebrows, was very still. The mouth looked very red in the white face, peeping from under the veil. The little pointed chin had in its form something aggressive slight and even angular in her modest black dress she was an appealing and yes she was a desirable little figure her lips moved very fast asking me and they believed you at once yes they believed me at once mrs fyne's word to us was go a white gleam between the red lips was so short that i remained uncertain whether it was a smile or a ferocious bearing of little even teeth the rest of the face preserved its innocent tense and enigmatical expression she spoke rapidly no it wasn't your shout i had been there some time before you saw me and i was not there to tempt providence as you call it i went up there for for what you thought i was going to do yes i climbed two fences i did not mean to leave anything to providence there seem to be people for whom providence can do nothing i suppose you are shocked to hear me talk like that i shook my head i was not shocked what had kept her back all that time till i appeared on the scene below she went on was neither fear nor any other kind of hesitation One reaches a point, she said, with appalling youthful simplicity, where nothing that concerns one matters any longer. But something did keep her back. I should have never guessed what it was. She herself confessed that it seemed absurd to say it was the fine dog. Flora de Barral paused, looking at me with a peculiar expression, and then went on, you see she imagined the dog had become extremely attached to her she took it into her head that he might fall over or jump down after her she tried to drive him away she spoke sternly to him it only made him more frisky he barked and jumped about her skirt in his usual idiotic high spirits he scampered away in circles between the pines charging upon her and leaping as high as her waist she commanded go away go home she even picked up from the ground a bit of broken branch and threw it at him at this his delight knew no bounds his rushes became faster his yapping louder he seemed to be having the time of his life she was convinced that the moment she threw herself down he would spring over after her, as if it were part of the game. She was vexed almost to tears. She was touched, too. And when he stood still at some distance, as if suddenly rooted to the ground, wagging his tail slowly and watching her intensely with his shining eyes, another fear came to her. She imagined herself gone and the creature sitting on the brink its head thrown up to the sky and howling for hours this thought was not to be borne then my shout reached her ears she told me all this with simplicity my voice had destroyed her poise the suicide poise of her mind every act of ours the most criminal the most mad presupposes a balance of thought feeling and will like a correct attitude for an effective stroke in a game and i had destroyed it she was no longer in proper form for the act she was not very much annoyed next day would do she would have to slip away without attracting the notice of the dog she thought of the necessity almost tenderly she came down the path carrying her despair with lucid calmness But when she saw herself deserted by the dog, she had an impulse to turn round, go up again and be done with it. Not even that animal cared for her in the end. I really did think that she was attached to me. What did he want to pretend for like this? I thought nothing could hurt me any more. Oh, yes, I would have gone up, but I felt suddenly so tired, so tired and then you were there i didn't know what you would do you might have tried to follow me and i didn't think i could run not uphill not then she had raised her white face a little and it was queer to hear her say these things at that time of the morning there are comparatively few people out in that part of the town the broad interminable perspective of the east india dock road the great perspective of drab brick walls of gray pavement of muddy roadway rumbling dismally with loaded carts and vans lost itself in the distance imposing and shabby in its spacious meanness of aspect in its immeasurable poverty of forms of coloring of life under a harsh unconcerned sky dried by the wind to a clear blue It had been raining during the night the sunshine itself seemed poor from time to time a few bits of paper a little dust and straw whirled past us on the broad flat promontory of the pavement before the rounded front of the hotel flora de barral was silent for a while i said and next day you thought better of it again she raised her eyes to mine with that peculiar expression of informed innocence and again her white cheeks took on the faintest tinge of pink the merest shadow of a blush next day she uttered distinctly i didn't think i remembered that was enough i remembered what i would never have forgotten never and captain anthony arrived at the cottage in the evening ah yes captain anthony i murmured AND SHE REPEATED ALSO IN A MURMUR, YES, CAPTAIN ANTHONY. THE FAINT FLUSH OF WARM LIFE LEFT HER FACE. I SUBDUED MY VOICE STILL MORE, AND NOT LOOKING AT HER, YOU FOUND HIM SYMPATHETIC, I VENTURED. HER LONG, DARK LASHES WENT DOWN A LITTLE WITH AN AIR OF CALCULATED DISCRETION, AT LEAST SO IT SEEMED TO ME, AND YET NO ONE COULD SAY THAT I WAS INIMICAL TO THE GIRL. "'But there you are. Explain it as you may. "'In this world, the friendless, like the poor, "'are always a little suspect, "'as if honesty and delicacy were only possible "'to the privileged few.' "'Why do you ask?' she said after a time, "'raising her eyes suddenly to mine in an effect of candour, "'which on the same principle of the disinherited "'not beginning to be trusted,' "'might have been judged equivocal. "'If you mean what right I have, "'she moved slightly a hand in a worn brown glove "'as much as to say she could not question "'anyone's right against such an outcast as herself. "'I ought to have been moved, perhaps, "'but I only noted the total absence of humility. "'Not right at all,' I continued, "'but just interest.' "'Mrs. Fine, it's too difficult to explain how it came about. "'Has talked to me of you, well, extensively.' "'No doubt Mrs. Fine had told me the truth,' Flora said brusquely, "'with an unexpected hoarseness of tone. "'This very dress she was wearing had been given her by Mrs. Fine. "'Of course I looked at it. "'It could not have been a recent gift.' close-fitting and black with heliotrope silk facings under a figured net it looked far from new just on this side of shabbiness in fact it accentuated the slightness of her figure it went well in its suggestion of half mourning with the white face in which the unsmiling red lips alone seemed warm with the rich blood of life and passion. Little Fine was staying up there an unconscionable time. Was he arguing, preaching, remonstrating? Had he discovered in himself a capacity and a taste for that sort of thing? Or was he perhaps in an intense dislike for the job, beating about the bush and only puzzling Captain Anthony, the providential man who if he expected the girl to appear at any moment must have been on tenterhooks all the time and beside himself with impatience to see the back of his brother-in-law how was it that he had not got rid of fine long before in any case i don't mean by actually throwing him out of the window but in some other resolute manner surely fine had not impressed him THAT HE WAS AN IMPRESSIONABLE MAN I COULD NOT DOUBT. THE PRESENCE OF THE GIRL THERE ON THE PAVEMENT BEFORE ME PROVED THIS UP TO THE HILT, AND, WELL, YES, TOUCHINGLY ENOUGH. IT SO HAPPENED THAT IN THEIR WANDERINGS TO AND FRO OUR GLANCES MET. THEY MET AND REMAINED IN CONTACT MORE FAMILIAR THAN A HAND CLASP, MORE COMMUNICATIVE, MORE EXPRESSIVE. There was something comic, too, in the whole situation, in the poor girl and myself waiting together on the broad pavement at a corner public house for the issue of Fine's ridiculous mission, but the comic, when it is human, becomes quickly painful. Yes, she was infinitely anxious, and I was asking myself whether this poignant tension of her suspense depended, to put it plainly, on hunger or love the answer would have been of some interest to captain anthony for my part in the presence of a young girl i always become convinced that the dreams of sentiment like the consoling mysteries of faith are invincible that it is never never reason which governs men and women yet what sentiment could there have been on her part i remembered her tone only a moment since when she said that evening captain anthony arrived at the cottage and considering too what the arrival of captain anthony meant in this connection i wondered at the calmness with which she could mention that fact he arrived at the cottage in the evening i knew that late train he probably walked from the station the evening would have been well advanced i could almost see a dark indistinct figure opening the wicket-gate of the garden where was she did she see him enter was she somewhere near by and did she hear without the slightest premonition his chance and fateful footsteps on the flagged path leading to the cottage door in the shadow of the night made more cruelly sombre for her by the very shadow of death he must have appeared too strange too remote too unknown to impress himself on her thoughts as a living force such a force as a man can bring to bear on a woman's destiny she glanced towards the hotel door i followed suit and then our eyes met once more this time intentionally a tentative uncertain intimacy was springing up between us two she said simply "'You are waiting for Mr. Fine to come out, are you?' "'I admitted to her that I was waiting to see Mr. Fine come out. "'That was all. "'I had nothing to say to him. "'I have said yesterday all I had to say to him,' I added, meaningly. "'I have said it to them both, in fact. "'I have also heard all they had to say. "'About me,' she murmured. "'Yes, the conversation was about you. "'I wonder if they told you everything.' if she wondered i could do nothing else but wonder too. but i did not tell her that i only smiled the material point was that captain anthony should be told everything but as to that i was very certain that the good sister would see to it was there anything more to disclose some other misery some other deception of which that girl had been a victim it seemed hardly probable It was not even easy to imagine. What struck me most was her, I suppose I must call it, composure. One could not tell whether she understood what she had done. One wondered. She was not so much unreadable as blank, and I did not know whether to admire her for it or dismiss her from my thoughts as a passive but of ferocious misfortune looking back at the occasion when we first got on speaking terms on the road by the quarry, I had to admit that she presented some points of a problematic appearance. I don't know why I imagined Captain Anthony as the sort of man who would not be likely to take the initiative, not perhaps from indifference, but from that peculiar timidity before women which often enough is found in conjunction with chivalrous instincts with a great need for affection and great stability of feelings such men are easily moved at the least encouragement they go forward with the eagerness with the recklessness of starvation this accounted for the suddenness of the affair no with all her inexperience this girl could not have found any great difficulty in her conquering enterprise she must have begun it and yet there she was patient almost unmoved almost pitiful waiting outside like a beggar without a right to anything but compassion for a promised dole every moment people were passing close by us singly in twos and threes the inhabitants of that end of the town where life goes on unadorned by grace or splendour they passed us in their shabby garments with shallow faces haggard anxious or weary or simply without expression in an unsmiling sombre stream not made up of lives but of mere unconsidered existences whose joys struggles thoughts sorrows and their very hopes were miserable, glamourless, and of no account in the world. And when one thought of their reality to themselves, one's heart became oppressed. But of all the individuals who passed by, none appeared to me, for the moment so pathetic in unconscious patience as the girl standing before me, none more difficult to understand, it is perhaps because i was thinking of things which i could not ask her about in fact we had nothing to say to each other but we two strangers as we really were to each other had dealt with the most intimate and final of subjects the subject of death it had created a sort of bond between us it made our silence weighty and uneasy i ought to have left her there and then but As I think I've told you before, the fact of having shattered her away from the edge of the precipice seemed somehow to have engaged my responsibility as to this one other leap, and so we had still an intimate subject between us to lend more weight and more uneasiness to our silence. The subject of marriage, I use the word not so much in reference to the ceremony itself, i had no doubt of this captain anthony being a decent fellow or in view of the social institution in general as to which i have no opinion but in regard to the human relation the first two views are not particularly interesting the ceremony i suppose is adequate the institution i dare say is useful or it would not have endured but the human relation thus recognized is a mysterious thing in its origins character and consequences unfortunately you can't buttonhole familiarly a young girl as you would a young fellow i don't think that even another woman could really do it she would not be trusted there is not between women that fund of at least conditional loyalty which men may depend on in their dealings with each other. I believe that any woman would rather trust a man. The difficulty in such a delicate case was how to get on terms. So we held our peace in the odious uproar of that wide roadway thronged with heavy carts, great vans carrying enormous piled-up loads advanced, swaying like mountains. It was as if the whole world existed only for selling and buying, and those who had nothing to do with the movement of merchandise were of no account. You must be tired, I said. One had to say something if only to assert oneself against that wearisome, passionless, and crushing uproar. She raised her eyes for a moment. No, she was not. Not very. She had not walked all the way she came by train as far as whitechapel station and had only walked from there she had had an ugly pilgrimage but whether of love or of necessity who could tell and that precisely was what i should have liked to get at this was not however a question to be asked point-blank and i could not think of any effective circumlocution it occurred to me too that she might conceivably know nothing of it herself i mean by reflection that young woman had been obviously considering death she had gone the length of forming some conception of it but as to its companion fatality love she i was certain had never reflected upon its meaning with that man in the hotel whom i did not know AND THIS GIRL, STANDING BEFORE ME IN THE STREET, I FELT THAT IT WAS AN EXCEPTIONAL CASE. HE HAD BROKEN AWAY FROM HIS SURROUNDINGS. SHE STOOD OUTSIDE THE PALE. ONE ASPECT OF CONVENTIONS, WHICH PEOPLE WHO DISCLAIM AGAINST THEM LOSE SIGHT OF, IS THAT CONVENTIONS MAKE BOTH JOY AND SUFFERING EASIER TO BEAR IN A BECOMING MANNER. BUT THOSE TWO WERE OUTSIDE ALL CONVENTIONS. They would be as untrampled, in a sense, as the first man and the first woman. The trouble was that I could not imagine anything about Flora de Barral and the brother of Mrs. Fine, or, if you like, I could imagine anything which comes practically to the same thing. Darkness and chaos are first cousins. I should have liked to ask the girl for a word which would give my imagination its line. "'but how was one to venture so far? "'I can be rough sometimes, "'but I am not naturally impertinent. "'I would have liked to ask her, for instance, "'do you know what you have done with yourself? "'A question like that. "'Anyhow, it was time for one of us to say something. "'A question it must be. "'And the question I asked was, "'So he's going to show you the ship?' She seemed glad I had spoken at last, and glad of the opportunity to speak herself. Yes, he said he would, this morning. Did you say you did not know Captain Anthony? No, I don't know him. Is he anything like his sister?' She looked startled and murmured, "'Sister,' in a puzzled tone which astonished me. "'Oh, Mrs. Fine!' she exclaimed, recollecting herself, and— avoiding my eyes while i looked at her curiously what an extraordinary detachment and all the time the stream of shabby people was hastening by us with the continuous dreary shuffling of weary footsteps on the flagstones the sunshine falling on the grime of surfaces on the poverty of tones and forms seemed of an inferior quality its joy Faded, its brilliance tarnished and dusty. I had to raise my voice in the dull vibrating noise of the roadway. You don't mean to say you have forgotten the connection? She cried readily enough. I wasn't thinking. And then, while I wondered what could have been the images occupying her brain at this time, she asked me, You didn't see my letter to Mrs. Fine, did you? No, I didn't, I shouted. Just then the racket was distracting a pair-horse trolley lightly loaded with loose rods of iron passing slowly very near us I wasn't trusted so far and remembering mrs fyne's hints that the girl was unbalanced I added was it an unreserved confession you wrote she did not answer me for a time and as I waited I thought that there's nothing like a confession to make one look mad and that of all confessions a written one is the most detrimental all round never confess never never an untimely joke in a source of bitter regret always sometimes it may ruin a man not because it is a joke but because it is untimely and a confession of whatever sort is always untimely the only thing which makes it supportable for a while is curiosity you smile ah but it is so or else people would be sent to the right about at the second sentence how many sympathetic souls can you reckon on in the world one in ten one in a hundred in a thousand in ten thousand ah What a cell these confessions are! What a horrible cell! You seek sympathy, and all you get is the most evanescent sense of relief. If you get that much, for a confession, whatever it may be, stirs the secret depths of the hearer's character, often depths that he himself is but dimly aware of, and so the righteous triumph secretly the lucky are amused, the strong are disgusted, the weak either upset or irritated with you according to the measure of their sincerity with themselves, and all of them in their hearts brand you for either mad or impudent. I had seldom seen Marlowe so vehement, so pessimistic, so earnestly cynical before. I cut his declamation short by asking what answer flora de barral had given to his question did the poor girl admit firing off her confidences at mrs fyne eight pages of close writing that sort of thing marlow shook his head she did not tell me i accepted her silence as a kind of answer and remarked that it would have been better if she had simply announced the fact to mrs fyne at the cottage "'Why didn't you do it?' I asked, point-blank. She said, "'I am not a very plucky girl.' She looked up at me and added meaningly, "'And you know it, and you know why. I must remark that she seemed to have become very subdued since our first meeting at the quarry, almost a different person from the defiant, angry, and despairing girl with quivering lips and resentful glances.' I thought it was very sensible of you to get away from that sheer drop, I said. She looked up with something of that old expression. That's not what I mean. I see you will have it that you saved my life. Nothing of the kind. I was concerned for that vile little beast of a dog. No, it was the idea of, of doing away with myself, which was cowardly. That's what I meant by saying I am not a very plucky girl oh i retorted airily. that little dog he isn't really a bad little dog but she lowered her eyelids and went on i was so miserable that i could think only of myself this was mean it was cruel too and besides i had not given it up not then marlow changed his tone I don't know much of the psychology of self-destruction. It's a sort of subject one has few opportunities to study closely. I knew a man once who came to my rooms one evening, and while smoking a cigar confessed to me moodily that he was trying to discover some graceful way of retiring out of existence i didn't study his case but i had a glimpse of him the other day at a cricket match with some women having a good time that seems a fairly reasonable attitude considered as a sin it is a case for repentance before the throne of a merciful god but i imagine that flora de barral's religion under the care of the distinguished governess could have been nothing but outward formality remorse in the sense of gnawing shame and unavailing regret is only understandable to me when some wrong has been done to a fellow-creature but why she that girl who existed on sufferance so to speak why she should writhe inwardly with remorse because she had once thought of getting rid of life which was nothing in every respect but a curse that i could not understand I thought it was very likely some obscure influence of common forms of speech, some traditional or inherited feeling, a vague notion that suicide is a legal crime, words of old moralists and preachers, which remain in the air and help to form all the authorized moral conventions. Yes, I was surprised at her remorse. BUT LOWERING HER GLANCE UNEXPECTEDLY TILL HER DARK EYELASHES SEEMED TO REST AGAINST HER WHITE CHEEKS, SHE PRESENTED A PERFECTLY demure ASPECT. IT WAS SO ATTRACTIVE THAT I COULD NOT HELP A FAINT SMILE. THAT FLORA DE Barral SHOULD EVER IN ANY ASPECT HAVE THE POWER TO EVOKE A SMILE WAS THE VERY LAST THING I SHOULD HAVE BELIEVED. SHE WENT ON AFTER A SLIGHT HESITATION. One day I started for there, for that place. Look at the influence of a mere play of physiognomy. If you remember what we were talking about, you will hardly believe that I caught myself grinning down at that demure little girl. I must say, too, that I felt more friendly to her at the moment than ever before. Oh, you did? To take that jump you are a determined young person well what happened that time an almost imperceptible alteration in her bearing a slight droop of her head perhaps a mere nothing made her look more demure than ever i had left the cottage she began a little hurriedly i was walking along the road you know the road i had made up my mind i was not coming back this time i won't deny that these words spoken from under the brim of her hat oh yes certainly her head was down she had put it down gave me a thrill for indeed i had never doubted her sincerity it could never have been a make-believe despair yes i whispered you were going along the road when again she hesitated with an effect of innocent shyness worlds asunder from tragic issues then glided on when suddenly captain anthony came through a gate out of a field i coughed down the beginning of a most improper fit of laughter and felt ashamed of myself her eyes raised for a moment seemed full of innocent suffering and unexpected menace in the depths of the dilated pupils within the rings of sombre blue It was, how shall I say it, a night effect, when you seem to see vague shapes and don't know what reality you may come upon at any time. Then she lowered her eyelids again, shutting all mysteriousness out of the situation except for the sobering memory of that glance, night-like in the sunshine, expressively still in the brutal unrest of the street. So Captain Anthony joined you, did he? He opened a field gate and walked out on the road. He crossed to my side and went on with me. He had his pipe in his hand. He said, Are you going far this morning? These words, I was watching her white face as she spoke, gave me a slight shudder. She remained demure, almost prim. AND I REMARKED, YOU HAVE BEEN TALKING TOGETHER BEFORE, OF COURSE, NOT MORE THAN TWENTY WORDS ALTOGETHER SINCE HE ARRIVED, SHE DECLARED WITHOUT EMPHASIS. THAT DAY HE HAD SAID GOOD MORNING TO ME WHEN WE MET AT BREAKFAST TWO HOURS BEFORE, AND I SAID GOOD MORNING TO HIM. I DID NOT SEE HIM AFTERWARDS TILL HE CAME OUT ON THE ROAD. I THOUGHT TO MYSELF THAT THIS WAS NOT ACCIDENTAL. He had been observing her. I felt certain also that he had not been asking any questions of Mrs. Fine. "'I wouldn't look at him,' said Flora de Barral. "'I had done with looking at people. "'He said to me, "'My sister does not put herself out much for us. "'We had better keep each other company. "'I have read every book there is in that cottage.' I walked on. He did not leave me. I thought he ought to, but he didn't. He didn't seem to notice that I would not talk to him. She was now perfectly still. The wretched little parasol hung down against her dress from her joined hands. I was rigid with attention. It isn't every day that one culls such a volunteered tale on a girl's lips. The ugly street noises, swelling up for a moment, covered the next few words, she said. It was vexing. The next word I heard was worried. It worried you to have him there, walking by your side. Yes, just that, she went on with downcast eyes. There was something prettily comical in her attitude and her tone, while I pictured to myself... A poor white-faced girl walking to her death with an unconscious man striding by her side unconscious i don't know first of all i felt certain that this was no chance meeting something had happened was he a man for coup de fondre the lightning stroke of love i don't think so that sort of susceptibility is luckily rare A world of inflammable lovers of the Romeo and Juliet type would very soon end in barbarism and misery. But it is a fact that in every man, not in every woman, there lives a lover, a lover who is called out in all his potentialities, often by the most insignificant little things, as long as they come at the psychological moment." THE GLIMPSE OF A FACE AT AN UNUSUAL ANGLE, AN EVANESCENT ATTITUDE, THE CURVE OF A CHEEK, OFTEN LOOKED AT BEFORE, PERHAPS, BUT THEN, AT THE MOMENT, CHARGED WITH ASTONISHING SIGNIFICANCE. THESE ARE GREAT MYSTERIES, OF COURSE, MAGIC SIGNS. I DON'T KNOW IN WHAT THE SIGN CONSISTED IN THIS CASE. IT MIGHT HAVE BEEN HER pallor. IT WASN'T PASTY, NOT YET PAPERY that white face with eyes like blue gleams of fire and lips like red coals in certain lights in certain poises of head it suggested tragic sorrow or it might have been her wavy hair or even just that pointed chin stuck out a little resentful and not particularly distinguished doing away with the mysterious aloofness of her fragile presence But anyway, at a given moment, Anthony must have suddenly seen the girl, and then that something had happened to him, perhaps nothing more than the thought coming into his head that this was a possible woman, followed this waylaying. Its resolute character makes me think it was the Chin's doing, that common mortal touch which stands in such good stead to some women because men-i mean really masculine men-those whose generations have evolved an ideal woman are often very timid who wouldn't be before the ideal it's your sentimental trifler who has just missed being nothing at all who is enterprising simply because it is easy to appear enterprising when one does not mean to put one's belief to the test well whatever it was that encouraged him captain anthony stuck to flora de barral in a manner which in a timid man might have been called heroic if it had not been so simple whether policy diplomacy simplicity or just inspiration he kept up his talk rather deliberate "'with very few pauses, then suddenly, as if recollecting himself, "'It's funny, I don't think you are annoyed with me "'for giving you my company unasked, but why don't you say something?' "'I asked Miss Barral what answer she made to this query. "'I made no answer,' she said in that even unemotional low voice, "'which seemed to be her voice for delicate confidences.' I walked on. He did not seem to mind. We came to the foot of the quarry where the road winds uphill past the place where you were sitting by the roadside that day. I began to wonder what I should do. After we reached the top, Captain Anthony said that he had not been for a walk with a lady for years and years, almost since he was a boy. We had then come to where I ought to have turned off and struck across a field. I thought of making a run of it, but he would have caught me up. I knew he would, and, of course, he would not have allowed me. I couldn't give him the slip. Why didn't you ask him to leave you? I inquired, curiously. He would not have taken any notice, she went on steadily, and what could I have done then? I could not have started quarrelling with him, could I? I hadn't enough energy to get angry. I felt very tired suddenly. I just stumbled on straight along the road. Captain Anthony told me that the family, some relations of his mother he used to know in Liverpool, was broken up now, and he had never made any friends since all gone their different ways, all the girls, married, nice girls they were, and very friendly to him when he was but little more than a boy. He repeated, very nice, cheery, clever girls. I sat down on a bank against a hedge and began to cry. You must have astonished him, not a little, I observed. Anthony, it seems, remained on the road looking down at her, He did not offer to approach her, neither did he make any other movement or gesture. Flora de Barral told me all this. She could see him through her tears, blurred to a mere shadow on the white road, and then again becoming more distinct, but always absolutely still and as if lost in thought before a strange phenomenon which demanded the closest possible attention. Flora learned later that he had never seen a woman cry, not in that way at least. He was impressed and interested by the mysteriousness of the effect. She was very conscious of being looked at, but was not able to stop herself crying. In fact, she was not capable of any effort. Suddenly he advanced two steps, stooped, caught hold of her hands lying on her lap, and pulled her up to her feet. She found herself standing close to him almost before she realized what he had done. Some people were coming briskly along the road, and Captain Anthony muttered, You don't want to be stared at. What about that stile over there? Can we go across the fields? She snatched her hands out of his grasp, it seemed he had omitted to let them go, marched away from him and got over the stile. It was a big field, sprinkled profusely with white sheep. A trodden path crossed it diagonally. After she had gone more than halfway, she turned her head for the first time. Keeping five feet or so behind, Captain Anthony was following her with an air of extreme interest, interest or eagerness, at any rate she caught an expression on his face which frightened her, but not enough to make her run, and indeed it would have had to be something incredibly awful to scare into a run a girl who had come to the end of her courage to live. As if encouraged by this glance over the shoulder, Captain Anthony came up boldly, and now that he was by her side she felt his nearness intimately like a touch she tried to disregard this sensation but she was not angry with him now it wasn't worth while she was thankful that he had the sense not to ask questions as to this crying of course he didn't ask because he didn't care no one in the world cared for her neither those who pretended nor yet those who did not pretend she preferred the latter captain anthony opened for her a gate into another field when they got through he kept walking abreast elbow to elbow almost his voice growled pleasantly in her very ear staying in this dull place was enough to give any one the blues his sister scribbled all day it was positively unkind he alluded to his nieces as rude selfish monkeys without either feelings or manners and he went on to talk about his ship being laid up for a month and dismantled for repairs the worst was that on arriving in london he found he couldn't get the rooms he was used to where they made him as comfortable as such a confirmed sea-dog as himself could be anywhere on shore in the effort to subdue by dint of talking and to keep in check the mysterious the profound attraction he felt already for that delicate being of flesh and blood with pale cheeks with darkened eyelids and eyes scaled with hot tears he went on speaking of himself as a confirmed enemy of life on shore a perfect terror to a simple man, what with the fads and proprieties and the ceremonies and affectations. He hated all that. He wasn't fit for it. There was no rest and peace and security but on the sea. This gave one a view of Captain Anthony as a hermit withdrawn from a wicked world. It was amusingly unexpected to me and nothing more but it must have appealed straight to that bruised and battered young soul. Still shrinking from his nearness, she had ended by listening to him with avidity. His deep murmuring voice soothed her, and she thought suddenly that there was peace and rest in the grave too she heard him say look at my sister she isn't a bad woman by any means she asks me here because it's right and proper i suppose but she has no use for me there you have your sure people i quite understand anybody crying i would have been gone already only truth to say i haven't any friends to go to he added brusquely and you she made a slight negative sign he must have been observing her putting two and two together after a pause he said simply when i first came here i thought you were governess to these girls my sister didn't say a word about you to me then flora spoke for the first time mrs fyne is my best friend so she is mine he said without the slightest irony or bitterness but added with conviction that shows you what life ashore is much better be out of it as they were approaching the cottage he was heard again as though a long silent walk had not intervened but anyhow i shan't ask her anything about you he stopped short and she went on alone his last words had impressed her everything he had said seemed somehow to have a special meaning under its obvious conversational sense till she went in at the door of the cottage she felt his eyes resting on her that is it he had made himself felt that girl was one may say washing about with slack limbs in the ugly surf of life with no opportunity to strike out for herself when suddenly she had been made to feel that there was somebody beside her in the bitter water a most considerable moral event for her whether she was aware of it or not they met again at the one o'clock dinner i am inclined to think that being a healthy girl under her frail appearance and fast walking and what i may call relief crying there are many kinds of crying making one hungry she made a good meal it was captain anthony who had no appetite his sister commented on it in a curt business-like manner and the eldest of his delightful nieces said mockingly you have been taking too much exercise this morning uncle roderick the mild uncle roderick turned upon her with a what do you know about it young lady so charged with suppressed savagery that the whole round table gave one gasp and went dumb for the rest of the meal. He took no notice, whatever, of Flora de Barral. I don't think it was from prudence or any calculated motive. I believe he was so full of her aspects that he did not want to look in her direction when there were other people to hamper his imagination. End of Part 8